Welcome to the Soulless Church Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Our passion as a church community is to see Jesus at the center of all things. For more sermon content and information, check out soullesschurch.com. All right, so from these verses, if last week we saw that Abraham obeyed God by faith, go ahead and write this down. This morning in these verses that we read today, we see that Abraham anticipated God by faith. That's what we're going to talk about today. How by faith, not only did Abraham go out and obey by faith, but after going out, Abraham's heart was postured with anticipation, anticipation for the Lord, anticipating God by faith. The question here is, uh, this morning, simply ask yourself, what are you looking forward to? And I mean that genuinely, like right now in this season of life, uh, where you're at, uh, what are you anticipating? What, what is something you're excited about? Uh, that's literally the definition of anticipation. Uh, by the way, when I say, when I put up these definitions, and you're like, where does he get these definitions? Because I can't find them in Google. Um, th- this is, what I usually do is I take like all different dictionary sources and kind of combine them um, into the, you know, the, the solace version, I guess. But because um, most of the time, the worst is like you look up a word, it's like, what, is it, what does anticipate mean? It's like the act of anticipating. It's like, well, that doesn't help me, okay? Um, the, the idea here in the text and, and, the, and the, the word we mean when we say anticipation here in Abraham's life, uh, we're talking about the act, anticipation of looking forward to something in the future with great excitement and expectation. There's a couple films that are coming out this October, the new Bond film. There's the, the epic uh, soon-to-come Dune film that uh, looks really exciting by uh, Denis Villeneuve, you know, right, Ben? Is that right? Ben's a big film guy, so he corrects me there. You know, I'm not sure if you've ever been there, anticipated some film to drop, or maybe it was like an album drop. You know, that's, that's usually a big thing. Any Kanye fans in the house? Okay. Donda, Donda, Donda. Okay. Um, Weirdest first song. Uh, for a long time, was anticipating, looking forward with expectation to what that album uh, would be like. Um, right now, you could say the, Lund- the whole Lundy household is, is, is on a, not just a season, but we'll say a weekend of anticipation. What, what could it be that we're looking forward to? Well, if you don't know, I've been home alone. When I say alone, I mean without Brittany, with the kids for the past three days. All right, my wife's away on, on an awesome little spiritual retreat with Angela Bronco. She's out in Colorado getting some alone with Jesus time. Uh, her phone's been on airplane mode for two days. I've been checking her location every 20 seconds, and it hasn't updated yet. So um, she should get service, service today. Um, so, you know, a little single dad weekend for me. Um, and let me say... The anticipation in the household is strong right now for mom's arrival, okay? Um, She gets in late tonight, and we are looking forward to it, okay? Um, You know what I found, too? Like, uh, one of the, the, here's a parenting tactic, um, or actually, this is for the dads, okay? Dads, if it's you and the kids for the weekend, I'm telling you, anticipation, like, if you can just keep that in their hearts, even if you're lying to them, but if you could just... If you can just keep them excited about the next thing, it's amazing how the days go by. All right, I'm kind of half-joking about the lying thing. Um, but really, we've been spending, you know, basically how we've been getting them through the, the past few days. And, and really, you know, what I mean by, like, the, the task here is, is getting them to not think about the fact that mom's not there. That's what I'm trying to say. That's, the, that's what we're trying to overcome over the weekend. You know, I, I can make it. 
with, you know. But the fact that, that Brittany's not there is, is really the issue, especially for the kids. So I just have to constantly keep their minds anticipating the, you know, Ashley and Uncle Berto are coming over, you know, okay, you know, Aaron just got a new puppy. He's coming over with a new puppy. So like every second, there's got to be another thing. And that just gets them through the day. Um, we did Gumbo Limbo two days ago. They just uh, reopened after doing some construction there. And I thought I was killing it. The days were going by. They hadn't mentioned mom in a little bit, which is sad, but kind of a win for me. And so, and so at one point, I was like, we got in the car. I was like, guys, wasn't that so much fun? And Evie goes, no. And I go, why? She goes, because mom wasn't there. I was like, okay, let's go do a slow drive back to the house now and all cry together. So we've been running on anticipation. Uh, you know, and this is even the language we use really for anything we're excited about, right? If you have a, a friend that you're about to meet up with that you haven't seen in a while, you're going to grab dinner, go, go hang out. You'll, you'll usually say in the text, man, I'm so looking forward to it. I am anticipating our time together. Well, this is really, I think, the language to describe what we have here with Abraham in these verses we read. Abraham is modeling spiritual anticipation. He is looking forward to the things of God. Uh, this is such an important reminder and even posture to have in the Christian life. I wonder how much of our discouragement and spiritual dryness is really just the result of failing to look to what's ahead of us, getting our eyes off of what God has promised. A lot of us, maybe we're too caught up looking around us. We're so aware of our circumstances that we're unable to see what God has ahead of us. We're unable to anticipate. We're so stuck analyzing. Maybe for some of us, we're stuck with this like retro perspective where we're constantly looking back, unable to move forward because we're so tethered to the past. Others of us, we're just straight up looking down. Spiritually speaking, we've experienced so much disappointment that we've lost our ability to hope. And Abraham models for us in the face of all of the things that are around us, behind us, beneath us. If you are a Christian, you have so much to look forward to. Just take a moment to think about that. What about God are you looking forward to? How do you need to lift your eyes off of the floor and focus them ahead on who God is and what he's going to be doing? Man, a lot of us, we're so hung down with our heads because we've lost sight of this. And Abraham models the importance of this. Abraham models the fact that, that, that God is always working and we can always be looking to what He's doing. That's what we see here in this passage. Abraham, after going out, he's now looking ahead to what he expects God to do, what he is excited about God to do. Um, we, we see this kind of as a theme with God's people throughout history, uh, especially Israel, who found themselves in situations that, that they couldn't see beyond. You ever been there? Like you're not able to see farther than what you're going through. And one of the most popular verses of the Bible comes out of a moment of this where Israel, even after... Uh, years and years of captivity, 70 years is, is what is the captivity they faced because of their own rebellion, and they weren't able to see beyond 
what their sin had, had, uh, had caused. Uh, this is the famous Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you. Okay, don't, don't reduce my thoughts to what you think. What you think is not the full story. I, I know your thoughts, and I know my thoughts. And I know what I think about you, and I know what I, I have for you, and I know what's ahead of you. And what I have for you and what I think towards you are thoughts of peace and not of evil. And my thoughts towards you is not despair and disappointment with your head down discouraged, but I have a plan to give you a future discouraged Christian. I have a hope for you. Lift your eyes in anticipation for what's ahead of you. And there's a common kind of trope in the, in the Christian world these days um, that I've struggled and wrestled with. And I think I'm coming back around to it. You ever had that? Where like you, like something you just, it's like a Christianism, you know? And you're like, you know, you get all like, like frustrated with religiosity. And you're like, I don't like that, you know? And you kind of walk away from it and you rebuke all the things wrong with it. And then you're like, there's two sides to every story. Maybe that is kind of true. For me, it's the phrase, the best is yet to come, right? You ever heard this? Now, sometimes I struggle with this because I'm like, sometimes it's not. It's like the best is yet. Sometimes that's basically like Instagram word faith theology, okay? It's just Instagram version of like everything, everybody's going to be healed of every disease. The best. It's like, hold on. Okay. Like let's, Jesus, when he was like, I'm going to go to heaven, he doesn't go, hey, guys, the best is yet to come. No, he's like, bad times are coming. In this world, right, that's our new phrase, the worst is yet to come. You know? But like Jesus, he prepared his disciples. But as we kind of come back around, but be of good cheer. For I've overcome the world. The best is yet to come for the Christian. There's hope ahead of us. God wanted Israel to be reminded of this. And here's Abraham in the middle of his season of waiting. And he's anticipating the Lord. He's not looking around. He's not looking beneath. He's not looking behind. His eyes are fixed ahead. And remember, this is the definition of what faith is. We learned this the first week when we looked at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Faith is... The substance of things hoped for. Faith is anticipating what God has promised is another way to say this. And Abraham is displaying this in such a, a beautiful way here in the passage we read. He is anticipating God. Now, he's doing it. It's really interesting. In this passage that we read, Abraham is anticipating God by faith in two ways. There's two ways here. Abraham, in Hebrews 11, verses 9 through 16 there, we see Abraham anticipating God in a near future and earthly way. Like here in this life and this time, we see him anticipating God here in this life. And we see Abraham anticipating God in a heavenly and eternal way. It's, it's an interesting passage of scripture. And as I was preparing it and like praying about God, how, how do you want me to, to teach this? It was a bit of a challenge because you kind of have like uh, two sides of the same coin here of anticipation. This is a uh, Abraham is speaking in, in, with, a, with a double entendre of anticipation. He's meaning two things at once. He's anticipating some real-life, near-future, earthly promises that God has given him, such as, even in your old age, you're going to have many children, and you're going to have a land, and you're going to have a nation, and just the, the, the future, which is now our history, right, about what God did with Israel. So there's, there's this physical fulfillment to what Abraham is anticipating, but then there's this beautiful language about how all of those things were really just a shadow of something greater that Abraham was looking forward to, that Abraham ultimately was anticipating 
a heavenly city, this eternal hope. And so let's look at each of these two things that Abraham's anticipating in this passage. And as we are seeking to lift our own eyes and anticipate the Lord in our lives, here's, I think, two ways that we could at least do that this morning. Uh, Let's start with the first, anticipating God in a near future and in an earthly way. The idea here is anticipating the faithfulness of God to deliver on what he's promised. To anticipate the faithfulness of God to deliver on what he has promised. And where do we see Abraham anticipating that? Well, Abraham has gone out, and now verse 9 tells us that he is dwelling in the land of promise. This is an interesting place of life that Abraham finds himself in. He's dwelling in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with his sons, who he's telling, hey, this is going to be our land one day. They're like, yeah, God, or yeah, yeah, Abraham, yeah, Dad, you know, nice tent, by the way, all right? The heirs with him of the same promise. It says, for Abraham was waiting for a city which has its foundations, which, whose builder and maker is God. And we're going to talk about heaven in a second. But here in this text, this is real literal. Abraham was called to go out of his earthly context of Ur the Chaldeans to follow God into a new territory that he would inherit and possess for generations to come, that God would make him a great nation. And here's Abraham, dwelling in that land of promise, but notice this, as a foreigner, This isn't Abraham's home yet. Abraham, and the word there is interesting, the word dwelling, it speaks of uh, literally tabernacling, and it speaks of a temporary resident. Or really, uh, it's actually a non-resident who's kind of hanging out and renting a hotel. They're, they're they're, They're not planted in. They're not at home yet. It's not their home. But this is Abraham. He's dwelling in a a temporary state in a place that God has called him permanently. Um, If we kind of think of this as a metaphor, uh, you you could think of Abraham in this situation as as living in the land of not yet. You ever lived there, by the way? Abraham is dwelling in the land of not quite yet. This, by the way, this is the hardest land often to dwell in. There's different seasons of life that God has us in, and And they all require different levels of faith. Abraham was just called out of a certain season of faith, and it was a going season, right? Where he was in his comfort zone, and God's like, get up, out of your comfort, out of your culture, out of your household, and go. That's great faith. It takes great faith to step out and go. But now now God's like, okay, great faith. You stepped out. You're doing what I called you to do, but now I want you to get ready because I have a whole new lesson of faith I want you to learn now. It's not stepping out faith, but it's sticking to it faith. You know, all the, all like the church planning training I got, it it was like almost like 99% was about how to go out and start the thing. No one told me about how to keep it going. Like that's, like what about when I want to quit? You know, it's like, no, no, just start it. It's like, okay, it'll just keep itself. No, okay. And maybe you've been there in life where you took the step of faith and, and you remember when that was the hard thing to do. And now you're like, oh, I would take the step, the step? What about staying where I am, where God's called me, where I'm not seeing his fulfillment yet? Abraham's living there. He, he's in this, the, the land of not yet, the land of unfulfilled promises, the land of the in-between. In between God's faithful promise and God's faithful provision. 
The key idea about this season that Abraham is in, and I love this in, in verse 10, it says that he's waiting. A season of waiting. Have you ever been in God's waiting room? It's much less sterile than most doctor's offices locally here. But You ever, you ever had the Lord call you to trust him in a season of waiting where you're not yet seeing his fulfillment? This is where Abraham is. And I want to say, this is, if this is your experience in life, um, really, let me say this about waiting. Um, I, I would say every Christian is, has either waited on the Lord, is waiting on the Lord, or will be waiting on the Lord to some degree. Like, waiting is just a part of walking with Jesus, which is hard for us. It? It's like, I don't like to wait. I'm an American, you know? We don't wait. We just push a button, and it shows up, all right? But this is where Abraham is. And this is, by the way, this is the norm with God and his people in history. We see this as like, almost like a template. And we're going to look at it more when we study the life of Joseph, who's a great example of this. But this is often the norm. Like, God puts a calling on someone. He gives them a promise. And then after the promise, there's a process. And in that process, what's usually happening is God is, is over here pre preparing the promise for the person. But he has the person wait because he's also preparing the person for the promise. David, you're going to be king. Go dodge some spears. Noah, you're going to build an ark. It's going to take 120 years for my word to come to pass. Moses, you're going to shepherd God's people. Now go and help out Jethro. Maybe right now you're like, I got a Jethro. In the waiting season with Jethro, my boss, right? Maybe, maybe this is the process that God has you for. What God often wants to do is use this waiting season to produce within us the character to maintain the blessings that he wants to pour out on our life. Like one of the worst things that you and I could get is a premature blessing. Like, it's like my, if my kids were like, Dad, I really want a car. It's like, okay, like a matchbox? You know, it's like, no, a real one. It's like, what's one of the, well, I got you a car. I'm a great dad. I pour out my blessings upon thee, right? My kids right now are, like, obsessed with, with Teslas, okay? Judah's, like, down the Elon Musk route. He's like, Dad, you think he'll come to Florida? He doesn't want to text this, you know? Like, he's just obsessed right now. But that would be the worst thing. That would be the worst thing that I could do as a dad, He's not ready for it. And that, you know, that, that's one of the worst places that we could be in life where we are impatient. And there's a sense in which we, we get to a place that uh, is unable to sustain the blessing of God because we don't have the rebar to be able to support it. So this is where, where God is, is working with Abraham. It's where he works with a lot of us. Basically, I'm trying to encourage you, if you are in a waiting season, God is doing something, okay? He's doing something. And I want to encourage you not to miss it. Yeah, he, he, listen, it's his job to prepare the promise for you. That's him. You could look to him. That's not your job. Your, your job is not to be God, but your job is to follow him in this season and allow him to prepare you for what he's promised. Now, one of the main ways that we experience this, again, it's, it's, it's through waiting like Abraham did. Abraham models this, um, what, what I would call waiting well, because that's the idea with waiting. We, even when I say waiting, we already have an idea of what that means for us, and it can be very Western American waiting. But Abraham, I think what he models for us in this process that God has him in is how to wait well. Like, I don't want to um, waste my waiting season. And you can waste your waiting season if you're not waiting well. If you're waiting 
let me give you kind of a couple examples of kind of the, the worst way to do that. Let's, let's look at some positive examples. So three ways that we see here in the text that Abraham waited well is he waited patiently, he waited on the Lord actively, and he waited on the Lord confidently. As God had him in this waiting season, this process, preparing him for what God was preparing for him, he waited patiently, he waited actively, and he waited confidently. He, he waited first patiently. We saw that right there in the text that Abraham is waiting from generation to generation to generation. I mean, there's a lot of time that goes by here where Abraham, I mean, even up until his wife having their first child, Isaac, there was a waiting season. And patience, let me say this, patience is required in God's waiting room. Again, which is one of the most difficult things for us because of our Americanness, our instant everything. Everything's instant. So we expect God to be instant, right? God, I have instant streaming, instant gaming, instant delivery, instant gramming. I got, I got all the instants. That's not a thing. But now, now let me say, God, can, by the way, God, if he wants to, and he has, and he does work like this, like God, this is another thing about God, he can in an instant do that which has taken lifetimes, he can heal a woman who had a flow of blood issue for 12 years in just a moment, in an instant. But other times, God doesn't work that way. It takes time. He's developing. We've got to be patient. Here's the way that, that James says it. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into, you could put their waiting seasons, okay? Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. This is what it's producing. But you've got to let it work, right? Let patience have its perfect work. Let it work got to let it work. Don't, don't take it out of the oven too soon. Don't be impatient. Let God do what he's doing. As hard as it is, he's producing something in you that you might come out perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Amen? Now, Abraham also, he models waiting, I love this, actively. He's waiting on the Lord, but he's not doing it um, with a posture of passivity, like sitting in the waiting room at the doctor's office. The waiting room at the doctor's office. You ever hear Jerry Seinfeld's great thing about this? Seinfeld's on Netflix now. It's a big problem, okay? And Jerry Seinfeld, he jokes about you go to the waiting room. What is going to the doctor's? Going to the doctor's office is going to wait, right? You, you wait. You, and here's, he talks about the process. You start by one giant waiting room with everyone else, and then they call you, your name, and you graduate to a smaller waiting room. And then you go from that smaller waiting room to the, the, the room that you'll be in, and you'll wait in there as well. And he tells a joke about, you know, what he wants to do one day is when the doctor finally comes in, he's going to say, sorry, doc, I'm not ready for you. Can you go ahead and wait in your office, and I'll come knock when I'm ready? Uh, but, but even the way we, we experience waiting, whether it's at the doctor or, or the, um, the mission field of the DMV, um, we're, we're, wherever it is, we are in these places where we tend to be waiting passively. We're sitting back, distracting ourselves on our phones, whatever it may be, Waiting for the time to pass. That's not the biblical idea of waiting on the Lord. Sitting back passively. We see with Abraham, he models active waiting. Uh, when you read the account in Genesis 13, you see every, everywhere that Abraham is going, setting up his tent, he builds an altar to the Lord. He's worshiping. Worship while you wait. He's worshiping while he's waiting. He is active in his relationship with God. It's not this passive practice. It's this active action. This is what's meant in Isaiah chapter 40, that those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. 
They shall mount up on wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. I want you to think of the word wait as a verb and not just a place in life. Think waiting a table, right, as a waiter. You're serving. You're active in the things of God, not sitting back passively, but seeking the Lord actively. Abraham also waited on the Lord, I love this, confidently. Confidently. I think that's one of the hardest, if you ever had to wait with uncertainty before, that's probably one of the hardest kinds of waiting. Where you're waiting, but you're not sure if it's actually going to come. You ever had that? Where it's like, they said they'd be here and I'm waiting, maybe they slept in. I mean, a lack of confidence in, in the arrival and the delivery of what you're waiting for plays a big part in your waiting season. And maybe for a lot of us, again, that disappointment has caused us to be impatient, to stop seeking the Lord because, you know, is God actually going to come through? And I love this about Abraham. In Abraham's waiting season, he waited with confidence in what he was waiting for. This is so huge. This is faith. He anticipated in his waiting season that if God said it, he's going to do it. It's that simple. It tells us that uh, we were looking there in, in Hebrews when we skipped ahead to verse 13. This is really interesting. Abraham dies in faith. Now, th- there's a, I could do a whole sermon on dying by faith. We talk a lot about living by faith. But Abraham models a life that's so lived by faith. He's like Paul. He even finishes his race. He dies by faith. What a cool way to think about the end of our lives. Abraham doesn't die and go, I didn't see God fulfill what he promised in my lifetime. I'm still believing that even after I die, it's going to come to pass. God's going to be faithful to his word. I'm confident in this. Abraham dies in faith. Abraham doesn't see what Israel becomes in his lifetime. He doesn't see what God does. Abraham doesn't see the Messiah with his own eyes. Without receiving the promise, yet he still saw them afar off, and he was assured of it. He was confident. He anticipated the faithfulness of God. For God to be faithful didn't mean that he had to see it happen. It just had to mean that God was who he was. God was going to do it. And he embraced them. He waved to them at a distance. He saw them. And as he was passing away, it's like he was dying saying goodbye to what he knew God was going to do. He died in faith in what God was going to do. Uh, Just such a beautiful picture about confidently anticipating the Lord. Um, I think of this scripture in the Psalms, Psalm 27. The author says, I would have lost heart. In my season of waiting, I would have given up unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Unless I was going to lose heart, but then I reminded myself who God is and what he does. And I became, all of a sudden in my waiting season, I stopped walking by sight and started walking by faith. And I became confident in the fact that I would see what God promised. And then here's the encouragement. Therefore, wait on the Lord. Be of good courage. He shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Abraham models anticipating God in a future and earthly way. He also models, here's the second part of this where we'll make our initial descent, okay? Abraham also uh, anticipated God in an eternal and heavenly way. So so we see this near future and earthly anticipation for God to be faithful to what he's promised. We see Abraham modeling how to wait well when we are in those seasons of not yet. 
and how God uses those seasons for our own good to prepare us for what he's preparing for us. And then we also see Abraham. This is what's really interesting about this next part of these, these verses. It's, again, it's this double entendre. It's speaking about Abraham's faith to perform his literal promise to Israel and his literal promise um, that he, he gave Abraham in Genesis 12. But it's Abraham also is looking beyond this promise as a shadow to something greater that he's hoping in, this heavenly reality of this physical shadow. It tells us there, we read it in verse 10, that Abraham was waiting for the city, which we might think is he's there in Canaan, he's waiting for the promised land. But the city he's waiting for has foundations, I love this, whose builder and maker is God. This is another city on a whole nother level that Abraham is anticipating. Notice verse 16. It says the same kind of idea in verse 16. It says, now they, those that are seeking a promised land, they were desiring not just some land and some promise on earth, but they were desiring a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. So, so we have this waiting for a heavenly city. We have this desiring a better heavenly country. And we have in this, this kind of picture of Abraham desiring a this heavenly promise that God has for him. You could write this down. Abraham is longing for his heavenly home, what we are also doing. Longing for our heavenly home. That's what we're talking about here. Now, we don't know at this point with Abraham, we don't know how developed his theology is about creation, fall, redemption, restoration, you know, absent from the body, present with the Lord, that God is in the heavens. Um, that God one day is going to remake the earth, a new heavens and a new earth. We, we don't know how developed Abraham's, you could say, eschatology was. You know, I think it was just simple. I think Abraham is there waiting in the promised land. And every now and then he's peeking out his tent and he's seeing the, the brokenness that's around him in the world. He could even look within his own tent and see his own brokenness. And there was within him this realization that no matter what God is going to give me on this earth, there's still something missing because things aren't exactly maybe how they were meant to be. Even Abraham pre-New Testament had some idea of a heavenly hope, of, of somewhere else recognizing that this world was marred by sin, that this isn't as wonderful as this promised land is going to be flowing with milk and honey. It's still a promised land in a fallen world. Abraham's looking beyond that to a better country. Isn't this interesting? He's hoping in heaven where God is. In almost a simple way, um, I, this immediately reminds me of that C.S. Lewis quote, which I think explains this really well. He says, if I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for a different world. I wonder if this is where Abraham's at, waiting for the promise of God, but then he starts to go as he's with God, God, I could have this promised land, but you know what would be best? Just to be with you. And he's realizing that here on earth, there's this lack of perfect satisfaction. There's joy. There's fulfillment in Jesus. There's happiness. But there's also those things coexisting with brokenness and dissatisfaction. Abraham begins to lift his eyes. And I love this language. He's longing for a heavenly home. And is um, this not the coolest part about this? It tells us there in, what is it, verse 10, I think, Hebrews 10. Yep. 
I love this, whose builder and maker is God. Like, that is cool, okay? Um, the, the word builder there about heaven is literally the word architect. I just, I don't know why I picture Tony Stark, like, building something, okay? But, but God, okay? Heaven, whose builder and maker, the architect and designer, as well as the, you know, the GC on the job getting this thing built, is God himself. I, I don't know about you, I've been to some really beautiful um, cities in, 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 our, in, our, in our nation, around the world. And, um, I'm thinking of my wife and I's trip to Italy years ago and being able to go to these different villages and just seeing the Duomos and the architecture of these cathedrals and being like, wait, who made these? Oh my, they didn't have, like Ryobi wasn't around back then, okay? Like, this is, they, didn't, they didn't have a power tool or any, a miter saw. They just had like, you know, wisdom. And they built these things. And so imagine, as we marvel at the creations of man, the architectural designs of, of, of earth, just imagine what heaven's going to be like. <laughs> Whose builder and maker is God. Jesus himself uses this same language when he is departing from the presence of his disciples. And he says to them, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. There's much room for you is the language. And if it were not so, I would have told you. But I go to prepare a place for you. You don't have to be bound by the brokenness of this world. That same Jesus would go to the cross and take upon himself our own brokenness. The brokenness of everything around us so that through our faith in him, we could have this hope of life after death. We could have this hope of a heavenly home whose builder and maker is God. Jesus says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, don't worry. I'm going to come back. I'm going to receive you to myself that where I am, you may be also. Can I say that if you're in this room today and you have not come to full faith in Jesus, uh, it's possible that you have faced the same wrestle that maybe Abraham did, where you've looked at your life and gone, as much as I've tried to fill my life with what this world has to offer, you've come to the place where you've seen this. It's just not enough. It can't do it. Maybe for a moment... But when that feeling goes away, you're always in need of more. Trying to fill this eternal void. And can I tell you what that is? The Bible says in Ecclesiastes 3 that God has put eternity in every single heart. Every person in this room has been built with this eternal longing within them. You were created not for this world, but for God himself. A relationship with God. Now sin, our sin, has separated us from that. But Jesus Christ has come to bring you back to that hope. This is eternal life, that you may know Jesus. And the, the Bible says it pretty simply. Jesus is the way. He is the way to heaven. He is the, he is the one who doesn't just say, here's how you get there, but he says, get in the car, I'm taking you there. Because I've taken your sin upon me so that I could give you the hope of eternal life. And God's heart for you is that you would have that hope deep down in your heart, that you, that you would be someone who could even die in faith. As Paul says, he's like, I'm looking forward to dying because dying is gain is what he says because of the great hope you have in Jesus. We see Abraham even longing for this heavenly home. Uh, and I think it's really interesting because scripture uses this language almost in two ways. Um, there's really two homes Two homes in your future that, you're, that you and I are longing for. Um, one is a home, we'll say, for our bodies. 
a new home for our bodies, like our real physical bodies, and that's heaven, the new heavens and the new earth. But, but there's this language in scripture about the hope we have and the longing we have for a new home for our souls. A home for our bodies, a new home for our bodies, but a new body for our souls. In fact, it's the same language here as Abraham in Hebrews 11. It's 2 Corinthians 5. It says, for we know that if our earthly house, that's this body we're in, this physical body, this tent is destroyed, we have a building from God. So Abraham's great, this is definitely harping back on Abraham. He's in a tent. It's a temporary dwelling. But when this temporary dwelling, the home of our souls, our bodies, when it's destroyed, when we die, as a Christian, we have this hope of a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal, also in a place, in the heavens. So look at this next verse. For in this we groan. You ever had your body groan for a new body before? Okay. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. This is what Jesus has come to give us. He's come to renew, not just the created order, but even our own lives, every detail of our lives. This is, sometimes this is only as hopeful as life is hard. And, and so it's one thing to think about this for myself. It's one other thing to be like, I remember the state of my mom's body when she was dying of cancer. And I remember how she was deteriorating physically. And I, and I, and I remember having the hope that she was with God. But to also know that as she was with God, she was in a new body. Conformed to Jesus' resurrected body. To know that that really cruddy earthly tabernacle was no longer her dwelling but that she now had a building with God eternal in the heavens, free of cancer, free of disease. There's hope in that. There's hope in that for you. There's hope in that for our loved ones. It's also important to remember that when we die and go to heaven, we're not going to be this like disembodied community, bye-bye, pie in the sky, floating through each other on accident, okay? Like there's a physical state to the new order. Like I believe I will physically hug my mom again. You will physically hold that child. Think about the reality of what's before us. You want to know why? Because we should be anticipating these things. We should have our eyes on these things. Anytime the church is facing some sort of death situation or the loss of life in their community, Paul is always like, look to the future at what God's going to do. It's not the end of the story. There's more to come. There's hope, there's heavenly hope, and we see that here in this passage, that this is where these Christians looked. They longed for this heavenly home. I'll invite the band to come up as, as, as we wrap up. And What's amazing, too, is how they lived. This is the last point. They lived from that heavenly home. Like When you're, when you're looking forward in, with anticipation towards your home in heaven, it's going to affect how you live here on earth. You're going to see yourself... As Abraham did, I'm a pilgrim here on earth. I'm passing through. Now, the danger of this, and I've seen this a bit in the church, where we have like this escapist mentality about heaven. Like, I'm going to heaven. I don't care about you and this earth. I'm out of here, okay? Just waiting to get raptured so I can peace out, all right? It's like, chill, okay? All right? Like God has called you where you are for a heavenly purpose. We don't want to be so earthly-minded that we're no heavenly good. We don't want to be in a broken way so heavenly-minded in a, in, a, in a wrong way that we're no earthly good to where we are. 
If we're truly heavenly minded in a biblical way, we're going to be as earthly good as anyone. We're going to live as citizens here on earth. We're not going to be attached to the things of this world. We're going to be like those dwelling in tents in a foreign land. Called with a mission to heavenize the world around us as citizens of a different country. I want to close with um, an example of Jesus here in John 1 being the greater than Abraham. We always got to bring this back to how this shows us Jesus. I love this. In John 1.14, it says, Jesus the word became flesh. And like Abraham in this foreign land, Jesus dwelt among us. The Greek word there for dwelt is Jesus tabernacled. Uh, the, the picture is, is that of the Old Testament tabernacle. Where on the outside, it just looks like any other tent, but on the inside is the very presence of God. Jesus comes around us and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. I want to get our minds on something today. If you've had your eyes down in disappointment, if you have lost your ability to anticipate God, sometimes the best way to look forward is to look back and see how God, listen, before you get to him, he's come to you. God sent his son Jesus to give us a future and a hope in him. He's a greater than Abraham who tabernacled in a foreign land called the earth. He came from heaven to earth lived among us, lived a sinless life, the only human to live a perfect life, God in the flesh. Then he went to a cross, became sin for you and me, became sin on our behalf. He took our sin upon himself so that we could become the righteousness of God in him. And then he rose victoriously from the grave, guaranteeing that there's hope for life after death. He's the one who has secured that. And he's done all this to make himself and create within himself, like Abraham, to make a people who would live in their identity in, in and through him. Um, this great verse at the end says that God is not ashamed to be called their God. Maybe you felt like that lately, like you have a God who's ashamed of you because you're ashamed of yourself. And let me tell you, if, if God could have been um, ashamed of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he would have, okay? They were humans just like you and me who fall short. But we see this picture of God who's loving towards his kids, who's purchased their hope for them. Despite how ashamed they might feel about themselves, his voice comes over that and says, I'm not ashamed of you. I'm not ashamed to call you my own. You're my child. I love you. I see you covered in the blood of my son Jesus, forgiven, whole, redeemed, and new. Now lift your eyes to the hope I have for you that I'm preparing for you. Walk in faith and confidence in who I am and what I'm going to do.